Hello and welcome to Weird Things and Wine, the show where we sip wine and talk about all things weird. My name is Tash. And my name is Mia. And today we're talking about the Yuba County Five. Shall we jump right in? Ooh, let's do it. <laughs> cheers. Cheers. <laughs> we should say cheers at the same time. Oh, yeah, we should. <laughs> cheers. Cheers. Okay. Known as the American Dyatlov Pass, the Yuba County Five is the story of five young men who went missing in the forest of a wintry national park in February 1978. Four of them met an untimely demise, while the last is still yet to be found. So many questions have plagued those involved in the case, including whether or not the missing man had something to do with his friend's deaths. Let's talk about it. Let's do this. Let's do this. Do you want to tell the listeners what we're drinking tonight? Yeah. Okay, so um, this case takes place in California. So it's kind of a splice of two drinks. One is called the California Sunrise, and the other one is called the California Surfers Cocktail. That's so nice. I'm so excited. (laughs) It has like a floating strawberry in it as an ice cube. Yeah. I love that. It's also, I think, supposed to be sort of representative of the uh, surfer. You know how they kind of like float on the waves? Oh, that makes yeah. sense. I love that. <laughs> it's got a little bit of an alcoholic content to it, so prepare to be safe if you plan on drinking that or anything else. Disclaimer. It has gin in it and champagne. <laughs> <laughs> that is correct. Yes, there's gin and champagne and some fresh fruit. Thank you for planning oh. out the drink. Oh. I'm so excited. You always do this, and this is the first time that we're really talking about it, but Mia always does, like, a fancy oh. drink that's kind of on theme. Oh, well, thank you. And you know what? Tasha's done a fantastic <laughs> job planning out the food, to be fair. It wasn't really planned. It was mostly just in my pantry, but It's so you. perfect, though. It's, like, on theme for winter. We have s'mores and fries. <laughs> <laughs> We have s'mores. Okay. Let's just leave it at that. Well, we have sweet potato fries. Okay, and sweet potatoes are like the winter potato. They're like yams, and Honestly, yams are yeah. the winter potato. This podcast will not have a ton of descriptions. So, it's like you mentioned before, this case is referred to the American Dyatlov Pass case. But the Dyatlov Pass had a lot of injuries. Like, at least, like, we probably talked about it for, like, an hour, just the injuries. Oh, yeah. I had pages and pages Mm -hmm. and diagrams in my notes. Which we never do, but it was important to the case. It was, really. And Mm -hmm. this case doesn't have that. So it's a little bit... I mean, there's still some things, but if you're comparing them apples to apples, this case is a little bit easier on the stomach. Yeah, easier to listen to. You might be able to have a snack during this one. I mean, honestly, if it tells you anything, we're literally snacking right now. We are. <laughs> okay. Okay, yes. let's just go. Okay. I'm so excited to let's talk about get this. Into this. We haven't ever really dived into this case, you and me, and I've been obsessed with it for the past week doing these notes. I think prior to now, we've both separately heard about it. Mm-hmm. We just haven't collectively come together yeah, yet. Yeah, to talk about <laughs> it, and it's so interesting. Mm-hmm. So many questions. So many. Okay, okay, <laughs> let's talk about it. Um, do you want to officially do the disclaimer? Okay, we probably should have a disclaimer. Yeah, <laughs> we haven't had a disclaimer in so long. Wow. Oh my gosh, wow, back to our old roots. <laughs> should be excited about that, but okay. <laughs> I am. Getting into the real fiery stuff now. <laughs> no. um, okay, disclaimer time. So, we mean no disrespect to anyone that we directly or indirectly mention in this podcast or who is relatively related to the situation. Any opinions that we state in here are we're not stating as facts. We're simply reiterating 
um, known pieces of information that we have found on the internet. Um, and for this case specifically, just to be clear, there are um, a few of the men in this case who have slightly below average IQs. The terms that were used back in the day for them are considered offensive today, so we're going to do our best to represent them in a correct manner and respect their situation with respectful words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, back then, looking at some of the new stuff, they Especially. used some like, really bad mm-hmm. language that we wouldn't use today. Mm-mm. Which adds a different layer to this case, because we do have to take into account the fact that they did have intellectual disabilities. To start off, like I mentioned, there's five men involved in this case, so I thought maybe I should give a bit of a background on all of them. So these guys, like you said, had below average IQ levels. I think the lowest reported, I couldn't find any specifics, which rightfully so, that's their own business, but one of the men reportedly did have an IQ of about 40 and the average iq is between 80 and like 110 i think 115 he was a little bit below average but i don't think that they place a whole lot of weight on iq levels nowadays like i think it's kind of an outdated system Mm -hmm. they didn't really have the words to describe this back then Mm -mm. but nowadays it's been speculated that most of these men would have some form of autism they would be on the autism spectrum Mm -hmm. or something like that back then they were did not use such graceful terms yes so but it throws a whole new level into this case because we don't know exactly how they would react to certain situations Mm -hmm. and back then their families and the people around them described them as lacking common sense was a term that was Mm -hmm. used a lot yeah um according to some family members also like they had sort of the same mentalities a little bit that you'd expect little kids to have like one of the men reportedly when he saw a stranger on the street he would smile and wave and say hello really excitedly and if they didn't you know return that he would be sad for a long time you know like a a little kid yeah these men were also really known as really upstanding citizens and very very kind and helpful I heard that two of them, I don't know the specifics, but two of them had found a man who had overdosed and had called for help and tried to Mm, help him. mm -hmm. So they were really known for being helpful people and very friendly and very kind. These men are not referred to as men in most of the articles and in the coverage about them. They're referred to as boys. So a lot of people kind of viewed them as younger than they actually were. They were the ages, um, the oldest was 32 and the youngest was 24. So they were men, but they're often referred to as boys and i think even in the town too like their nickname as a group were was the boys yeah right yeah i think so so let's get into each of them specifically so bill sterling was 29 so yeah like you said he was the one who would like wave at people on the street and like get really excited if they wave back Mm. so he used to work at the air force base as a dishwasher but his mother made him quit after she found out that they were the people on the base were getting him drunk and stealing his money. <gasps> That's so sad. It's messed up. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't think he was working at the time, but he did like to fish, but he didn't want to spend that much time outside. And that's something that all of them have in common. None of them really wanted to go camping or spend too much time in the outdoors. Mm-hmm. So the next one we have is Ted Weir. He's 32. Ted's brother said that one time he spent $100 on pencils and didn't understand why he had to stop at a stop sign. 
So this is kind of why they were described as lacking common sense. Yeah. Also, one time his parents' house caught on fire, and he stared at the ceiling and told his brother to leave him alone, as his brother was desperately trying to get him out of the house, because he had work in the morning. Yeah. So it just kind of, like, shows you where they were at. Mm-hmm. Reportedly at the time, I believe, he was working as a janitor, so he had a solid job. Yeah, like, these guys... I don't know if this is the right term, but I think that they would be referred to as high-functioning, most of them. Mm -hmm. So, in a couple places, I heard it described as two of them actually had intellectual disabilities, and the other two were just considered to be slow learners. I might have a bit more on that to add. So next we have Jackie Hewitt, Hewitt. Who is 24. I think Jackie is like a nickname. I think his name was actually Jack, but they called him Jackie because there's another Jack who I will talk about next. Yeah. So, Jackie relied heavily on Ted and his mom because he couldn't really read or write or dial a phone. He was very shy and he also didn't like being away from home for more than a few hours at a time, specifically mm-hmm. like not overnight, which is also an important thing to remember mm-hmm. in this case. None of them really liked being out overnight. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing too with Jackie, I believe it was his brother that mentioned even a little more deeper about the phone thing. Like if he ever had to call someone on the phone and even when some of his friends like in this group would call him on the phone, his brother would be the one to sort of mediate just because it was something that affected Jackie very strongly. Which I get. I don't like being on the phone either. Oh my (laughs) goodness. Stress. (laughs) I don't know if this is really something you could quantify. But at the time, Jackie was seen to be the most intellectually disabled out of the five men. Earlier when I mentioned that one of the men had an IQ of 40, it is believed that that was Jackie. Right. Jackie's IQ. And then we have Jack Madruga. He was 30. He worked as a dishwasher, but was actually fired for not being able to use the more modern technology. He had also at one point been in the army as a truck driver. And again, I don't think this is really something you can quantify, but he is said to be the second highest functioning. He had a driver's license, and so did Gary Mathias. Mm-hmm. So Gary Mathias was 25, and I have a lot more on him because he actually does become a suspect in this case. So Gary Mathias was 25. He was a part-time gardener, I think, for his stepfather's business. Mm-hmm. He also used to be in the army, but was actually discharged for drug use and other mental health issues. When he was younger, in his youth, I think as a teen, he kind of abused specifically, I think it was psychedelics. Mm -hmm. So that can, especially if used as a young person, that can mess with your brain a bit, especially if you do it a lot. Especially when you're developing. Yeah, So that can also, drug use can make mental illness worse. So if you already have a pre-existing condition, it can exacerbate it. Yeah. Yeah. Gary was on medication for paranoid schizophrenia. So he was, had been on this medication for two or three years and he was seen by his doctors as like a sterling success case. Mm -hmm. He was doing really well and hadn't had any problems in like two years. He was fine, except for high-stress situations, specifically. So I think that's something that comes into play for a lot of the guys. Like, they were pretty much fine until there was a high-stress situation. I did see um, a couple of reports. Worrisome reports. Yeah. Um, He had a violent past. Specifically, he was violent towards women. He was really the only one with any sort of violent tendencies at all. Mm -hmm. And it was said also, like... 
his doctor said that, um, as you mentioned, he was really a success story. So while he was on his medication, it helped him manage that very well. Yeah. Again, like, he was the most high-functioning, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. and said to be sort of the leader of the group. Um, he was also, because he was in the army, he was also really the only one with survival experience in the wild. In the quote-unquote wild. <laughs> the forest. Um, this is important to note. He was probably the most excited about the game the next day. Apparently, he kept bothering his mom, like, making sure, like, please wake me up, make sure I'm up and I'm ready for the game. I'm so excited about it. Because they had a game, a basketball game, the next night because they had all actually met at, um, like, a support group for... Gateway. Yeah, Gateway, which was, like, um, a thing for people with intellectual disabilities. And they were part of a basketball game called the Gateway Gators. Yeah. Yeah, and the next day after all the events of the evening, which we will talk about, the next day after that, they were supposed to go to a basketball game that they were all so excited about. To go deeper into the story of how they met. um, So everyone, I think, apart from um, Gary, had known each other for quite a few years beforehand because they had all been part of this program. And once Gary sort of settled down where he was... He found this program and was reached out to by one of the counselors who suggested that he just stop by, you know, take a look and see how things are there just to get some friends in the area. And it was said that all of a sudden everything just sort of clicked between all of them. And I believe by the point that this had all happened, the five of them had been friends for about six months is the time frame that I have heard. And they were pretty close. Mm-hmm. They kind of did a lot of things together. <laughs> yeah. So all five men lived with their parents, and they all kept very strict routines, which is also a factor in this case. Like, they were up at the same time every day, in bed at the same time every day. They, they didn't They were very out. structured. Yeah, and they didn't stay out late. They didn't... For them to be out late was so out of character for them. Especially when they had this really exciting basketball game the next day that I think most of them had told their parents about, especially Gary. Yeah, they were so excited about it. So they had gone to Chico the night before to cheer on another basketball team that they liked, but they weren't planning on spending the night. They were going to go and then come back, and it was, I think it was probably about like an hour and a half, two hours away from where they lived. That's what I've heard. Yeah. And it was, I think, north from where they lived? Just for reference. It'll yeah. come into play later. <laughs> so oh, so they were expected to bat back around midnight, I think, to get up early for the next day for their game. They left. All of them were only wearing light coats. Oh, I didn't even say what day that was. Should they, we say that it's the 24th of 1978? February 24th, 1978. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was maybe Bill's mom who had said, put on a heavier jacket, but it's California. Yeah, and they were just planning on staying in a car, then going into a probably pretty warm gym, then going back into the car, and then coming home. Yeah, so they weren't really planning on being outside for any length of time at all. No. Apparently, they were seen at the game, and afterwards they were also seen at a convenience store at around 10 p.m., and they got snacks for the ride home. And it's interesting that the convenience store has this memory. (laughs) Apparently, it's due to two reasons. One is that um, Chico is a small enough town that you can tell when someone's not from that town if you don't recognize them or due to whatever factors. And also, the store was closing in just a couple minutes. 
So if you have ever worked in a um, customer service sort of job, you may ex have experienced the dread of having just a couple minutes left and having not only one client, but five clients now enter your store. Five men were all accounted for, seen together, and they seemed to be in high spirits. And this was the last time that they were all officially seen alive. Let's get into the order of events on February 24th. Prepare yourself. It's about to get heavy, guys. Mm-hmm. Ted's parents woke up concerned the next morning on February 25th and called Bill's parents, who had already been in contact with Jackie's parents. So Bill's parents had actually tried to convince them not to go because they had had their game the next day. Again, because we said that all the men, I was about to say boys, <laughs> that all the men had a pretty structured routine. Them not appearing the next day was very out of character and immediately concerning. Yeah. So the families immediately contacted the police. And then a few days later, on February 28th, a Forest Service worker found Jack's car, a Mercury Montego, at the <laughs> snow line of the Plumas National Forest. Also, we should mention that the police did immediately work on their investigating, but as far as they knew, they only knew the boys to go to Chico, and that's it. So they were, you know, searching around Chico. Where could they have gone? They searched, I think, all the way from Chico to the way home. And they did not find anything in the three days between the boys being missing and where we're at right now on the 28th. Yeah, and for reference, this is California, so the snow line is high. It's very high up, right? Yeah. On a mountain. Mm -hmm. um, and also, the where the car was found was 70 miles away or 110 kilometers away from Chico and not yeah. in the direction of home. So yeah. there's no reason why they would look there. So from Chico, where they were, had they gone south, they would have returned home. But it was like a straight shot, right? Pretty much, yeah. They ended up going east and apparently they would have been driving for about two hours east to get to where their car was found. I also wanted to interject briefly here because I have a little bit of an overview of sort of this area that they're in now. I don't have a lot of information because it's a national forest. So picture number one, a national forest. It's about 1,150,000 acres. Okay. About. It's, I think specifically it's 1,146,000 acres, but you know, you round up. Round up, yeah. as you do. <laughs> Honestly, I stumbled across the Plumas National Forest's um, website, which looks surprisingly nice. Like, it's surprisingly well-maintained, their website. I was very surprised. Also, apparently, if you're looking for specific maps, you have to pay to find said maps. So really? I did not pay however much it was to figure out exactly what their route was according to like the hiking trails and hills and forest service roads that were up there. So sorry, I'm not that dedicated. <laughs> Which you think would be like common information that you can access, but I didn't find like any crime scene photos like of the trailer. Usually Which I don't is look weird. for that, but I was curious. <laughs> I literally looked up um, the autopsy reports, even for Ted. Like you think the, be the general information that's sort of dispersed amongst the true crime world is all the information that's there. There's no autopsy report. Oh my gosh, the drinks are really hitting now. There's, yeah. Yeah. It's just really surprising. I was surprised that there was no pictures of the trailer and hardly any mm. pictures of the boys before they went missing. Even the car. 
Yeah, like, you can find even any the car. Of the car you're right. No, not. I think there's one picture that I saw of reportedly of the actual car just sort of out and about, you know, sitting on his property because he's very proud of his vehicle. Yeah. Um, but not while it's up there, which we'll get more into the car. So to be more specific about the forest, like I said, it's huge. <laughs> um, and honestly, if you're from Canada. I live sort of more on the west coast of Canada, and I've found that the views between the forest and our forests look very similar. Also, yeah. mostly considered to be wilderness, with some various hiking trails and campsites and all these other things. There's not a lot up there. There's some, like, trailers and stuff, and there's some cabins, but there's yeah. not, it's not like a camping place, really. No. So, specifically, where Jack's car was found, there is... Some trailers for, I think it was for forest service workers, or for some government workers, and additionally, like, for people that come across very unfortunate circumstances can go in there, and there's a bunch of stuff, um, supplies in these trailers. Um, Which is smart, I've never heard of that before. I know, this is, this should be more apparent. Yeah. Come on, (laughs) cities and towns and governments. (laughs) Anyways, and I have only heard this in one area like from one source but there may have been a campsite not too too far away from where the car was found and also there may have also been a hiking trail not too too far away from where the car was found as in not too too far away as in theoretically speaking it could be possible that someone could park their car there and then go camping or go hiking on this trail that was far away still from where the car was found but only if you know it's there right yes yeah (laughs) not apparent to people that are not familiar with the area right and a lot of people have said that there's no this is not an area you would stumble upon if you didn't have a purpose for being up there right Mm -hmm. you don't go up there on like a jaunt no there's like a joy ride yeah (laughs) yeah and there's nothing up there besides like unless you want to spend time outside you're not gonna like go up that Mm -hmm. road and get to another town it's literally just forest (laughs) <laughs> I'm already, like, so confused. Okay. <laughs> Gets worse. <laughs> so, when the police went to investigate this car, they found, again, the Mercury Montego that Jack Madruga was so excited about. He was very, very proud of this car. Yeah. Like, he worked proud. for this car. This was his car. This was a baby. Yeah. When you get a car, and it's, like, your first car, and you just, you love it. Even if it's not the best car, it's the it's best yours. car to yours. Yeah. Yeah. So all the snacks that were in the car had been eaten, and there was just empty Raptors. I think the only thing that was in there was like half a candy bar. Yeah, that was pretty... Everything else was gone. Yeah, it was just ra- empty wrappers, mm-hmm. and they also had a road map of California in there, because again, there was no GPS back then. No, not so much. Cell phones? No. Yeah. <laughs> So I think that the um, investigators had to hotwire the car in order to get it started again mm. because it had been sitting there for a few days. It still had a quarter tank of gas and it was stuck in snow, but it wasn't stuck in snow so much that you wouldn't be able to get it out if you had tried. It stopped by this point too. There was at least a little bit of snow that had melted. So while they could still see that they there were clear signs that they did try and like back up and go forward again and were still stuck... Yeah, according to them, they still should have been able to get it out of there. Yeah, because they were five... Big men. Yeah. they Strong were men. Strong, they were big. They could have... They played basketball. Yeah. They were fit enough to play basketball. And there was no sign that they had even gotten out to push the car. 
which is weird. I've gotten my car stuck in snow so many times, <laughs> and the first thing you do is try to, like, especially if there's more than one of you there, someone, you know, presses on the gas and someone else pushes. That's yeah. just what you do. Yeah. But again, they wouldn't have had, like, winter tires on their car, I'm assuming, because they were living in California, and I'm assuming mm. not expecting to go up to the snow line. That's a good point, actually. I hadn't thought about that. But again, like, the investigators said they would have been able to push it out if they had tried. Yeah, true. It's important to note that the car, that the road that they were on, like we said, it doesn't lead anywhere. It's not a main road and it's not a well-maintained road. I think it's paved now, but back then I don't think it was. No, all that I found for road maintenance was they had one snow plow something that would come up and just plow the roads a little bit. And sort of where they got stuck is where it kind of looked like maybe the plower had gone. I don't know exactly what it was. Yeah, like turned around there maybe? Yeah, maybe something like that. The Mercury Montego also did not have any scratches. It was a bumpy road at night. It was snowing. Quite heavily. Quite heavily, and there was no don't no damage to the underside of the car. And the forest rangers and the investigators who went up there had damage on their car. They theorized that the person who drove up there would have had to have either been really familiar with the road or had been super careful, like going at a snail's pace to get up here, avoiding all the holes, right? Okay, so just to recap also, the two people in this vehicle at the moment that have driver's licenses are Gary and the car owner, Jack. Yeah, and Jack, like we mentioned, he was super proud of this car and also super protective. Mm -hmm. So he would probably not have let anyone else drive. (laughs) He also probably would have gone at a snail's pace if he could see that there were some bumps in the road or whatever. Yeah, so it shows that whatever they were doing, they had the time to go slow and be careful. And for some reason, the intention to go where they were going? Yeah, I think that if if Jack had not had a purpose to go up this way and had seen how bad the road was, I it makes sense that he would have turned around. Can I just mention one thing here? Yeah. So I just wanted to mention about the rangers. I heard some people saying, you know, what the heck are these stupid rangers doing not reporting this car? Because it sounds like they had noticed the car up there before the 28th when it was reported. But again, because there was no damage, like we said, and there were campgrounds nearby and other hiking trails, it wasn't out of the realm of question for someone to just sort of come and park their car along the side of the road to get out and snowshoe over to wherever. (laughs) Right. And it was not apparently suspicious. I don't know if they actually went out really and searched, but even if they had, nothing in the vehicle would have seemed suspicious anyways. So it wasn't until the police finally set out more in motion the search coverage or the news coverage that the rangers actually got word and were like, oh, um, (laughs) this is suspicious now. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Which also shows you that it wasn't apparently stuck in that much snow, Mm -hmm. right? Upon closer inspection of the car, they did find that the keys were gone and the window was rolled down a bit. Not smashed. Not smashed. (laughs) Rolled down. (laughs) Purposely. Odd. It is odd. Actually, can we just like spitball here? Yeah, let's do that. (laughs) (laughs) Under what circumstances would you roll your window down? Well, I was thinking about it. So (laughs) if there is snow, or Mm -hmm. if I'm just trying to navigate better, 
maybe mm-hmm. I might roll down my window and stick my head out of the car to like mm. see if, where the potholes are and try yeah. to like maneuver around them. Right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. For or sure. Get one of my friends to do that so I don't hit anything. Yeah. Maybe the visibility wasn't great. True. Or mm-hmm. another idea is that maybe the window was rolled down so they could talk to someone. That's literally what I was thinking. Yeah. Because I was like. I feel like the only times I see someone rolling their window down is when they're, like, flicking a cigarette butt out the window, which don't do. Don't do that. That's and, dangerous. Yeah, and I don't think any of the guys smoked. Mm, I don't think so either. And there was no wrappers on the road. No. <laughs> for them to, like, throw out their garbage. No. <laughs> yeah, or if you're rolling it down to talk to someone. Yeah, and it's weird that a man who is so proud of his car would leave it and leave the window down in the snowy part of just leave the window down and leave the car that's, on the side of the road it's weird yeah it's weird so there must have been a really good reason for him something that he could not dispute in his mind yeah i have to do this if he didn't have to he probably wouldn't have i have a question for you yeah did you happen to hear about the new book the book from 2020 on this case no oh really okay who wrote it I don't think it was like a famous author. I think it was just someone who was like, this case is way too unsolved. Okay, it is way too unsolved. You're right, that's a good way to describe it. It's by Drew Hurst Beeson. It's specifically about the Yuba County Five and revisiting it. It's called Out of Bounds, What Happened to the Yuba County Five. Okay. Yeah, and it comes up with some interesting information. I honestly found out about it like two days ago. Oh. And I was like, I don't think that's enough time to <laughs> read all of it. <laughs> but I thought about it. <laughs> it was written in December, I believe, of 2020. Recently. Yes. I'll try my best to bring out some of its interesting points. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Shout out to that guy. Yeah. Thank you, Mr. Beeson. So that just shows you, like, even now, like, people still think about this. So many years later. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the investigation, maybe. Okay. So, just to remind everyone, they didn't like being outside in the cold, yet they were 70 miles up a mountain in outside the cold. Outside in the cold. <laughs> <laughs> so, investigators searched for a long time, but they couldn't find much in the snow. They spent, like, so many hours. Thousands um, of hours. Mm-hmm. I think it's good to note, too, that they were fully decked out in snow gear, and they still had a hard time in the snow. Yeah, prepared for the snow. They were yeah. still struggling. Yeah. So the investigators didn't find much, even though they tried so hard. 15 foot high snowdrifts. Oh my gosh, that's intense. Mm-hmm. And the dogs couldn't even find them. Mile Higher podcast. They brought up a good point about normally, in most cases, water heightens scent. Yeah, like rain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's odd that the dogs couldn't find anything. Yeah, in the like snow. even a trail. Yeah. It is weird. So the police got a little bit desperate, and they went to some unconventional sources, (laughs) which I need to do some Googling for. So they went to a psychic who said that she saw bodies in green canvas bags. Suspicious. It's weird. A little. And they also went to something called a water witcher. Water witcher? Water witcher, which I didn't actually look up. What is that? (laughs) Um, So a water witcher uses dousing rods (laughs) (laughs) dousing rods yes of course um i know what that is 
Okay. I don't understand fully why they went to a water witcher. They got desperate. Desperate times call for desperate measures, you know? It was a weird choice. But a water witcher, from my understanding of it, they use these dowsing rods, which are two rods, obviously. Of water? <laughs> they're just dowsing. They're rods. What? And then, and then they, like, point towards water. Oh, yeah. Okay, I have heard of that before. Yeah. They, like, cross if you're looking towards... I don't know. <laughs> yeah, if you're pointing in the direction of water, they will get closer together. It's kind of yeah. like um, a pendulum, sort of. Yeah, it's like a pendulum, but, like, like not in dousing rods. Yeah, but in rods that point closer or further apart. Yeah, so yeah. they decided to consult this water witcher who used these dowsing rods to try to find them, which is weird, because... Blood? Maybe. So the water witcher would find water using these dowsing rods, and I guess maybe blood, like you said. So maybe... <laughs> I don't oh know how gosh. it works, but the police consulted this guy, and he, I think he, I think he led them to a, tr- a, like, a cabin in the woods, but they, there was no sign of the boys there, and there was no reason for the water witcher to lead them there, but that's where I think he led them. Interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. So that's how much they, like, really, they really tried to find these guys. They, like, really tried. Yeah. Severely tried. So, a man named Joseph Shones came forward with information about that night. There is not enough information about this guy, and there's not enough information about what he saw. No, not at all. I'm stressed about it. Honestly, it's unnerving, to say the least. It's confusing, and Mm -hmm. I don't like it, but... Mm -hmm. Okay, let's just get into it. Mm -hmm. We have a lot to say about this gentleman. So, at around 5.30pm, the night of the 24th, he had driven up to see what the road was like, because he was planning on bringing his family there that weekend. So, he was actually driving a V-Dub bug... So the snow couldn't have been, like, that bad. No. (laughs) Except that he did also get stuck. Yes. So he got stuck about 150 feet from where the Mercury Montego was, and he actually started to have a heart attack after trying to push his car out of the snow. He had what is known as a mild heart attack, and there is like proof evidence his they, doctors confirmed it yeah they i think it was he underwent an evaluation afterwards because there's only a certain you can tell through medical means if you've ever had one that's yeah. all i'll say for now he recalls seeing during the night that he was there because he spent the whole night in his car having this heart attack so some weird things were happening during this evening but also i will say heart attacks can cause hallucinations yes that is a fact yeah, so at 11 o'clock, 11 p.m., he heard whistling noises. Whistling noises, and was it other voices? Yeah, he heard voices, whistling noises, and I think he saw some flashlights. Yeah. So he actually got out of his car to ask for help, and he saw, I think it was four men and a woman holding a baby in front of a car and a truck. I think reportedly the truck was behind the car. Yeah, but there were two vehicles there there was four men and a woman Mm -hmm. with a baby Mm -hmm. weird miles and miles away from civilization not loving that at almost midnight (laughs) honestly by this point yeah bad vibes so the this group when they noticed him they quickly became quiet and turned off their flashlights so there's like a theory that maybe he had surprised them or scared them and eventually the truck drove off a book was published reiterating sort of all the information and this book brings up a lot of questionable information some of which is about um joseph Joseph. (laughs) thank you (laughs) so it states that there seem to be a couple differing versions of the events of that night according to joseph 
Specifically, in regards to the pickup truck, when he was asked about it again, he apparently said that he was unaware or didn't remember why he said that to begin with. And a direct quote from him is, I was half conscious, not lucid, hallucinating, and in deep pain. Whether I half saw or half imagined the second vehicle, I just don't know. And this comes, I believe, after him being questioned a couple times. All of a sudden, his story sort of changed. Right. Which you could sort of count that off as, you know, as more time goes on after situation, like, I find that sometimes I'll doubt myself and be like is that actually fact that that happened oh yeah and be unsure like five minutes after genuinely <laughs> 15 minutes later uh was i dreaming <laughs> yeah yeah his story did change also a few other times he said that he had actually woken up to voices and like flashlights shining in his car mm-hmm, which is scary scary it kind of makes me think that maybe if it was the five guys, maybe that was when they rolled down their window to try to talk to him. Mm-hmm. But again, if they're already stuck in the snow, they're not going to... Help him. Yeah, and turn, yeah. or like turn around. Also, just a question here. Mm-hmm. If he at some point had enough energy and was with it enough to get out of the car to go and ask the people out there for help, why would he have not continued after them? Question mark. Because maybe he wasn't well enough. Maybe it was just like he had a little burst of energy, you know? Maybe. I don't know. There's a lot of questions. A lot. Um, Yes. (laughs) (laughs) When his car ran out of gas in the morning, he had kind of regained his strength enough to start walking back down the road. And he did see Jack's car. He remembers seeing it and he can apparently describe it. So there is kind of proof that he was there. Mm-hmm. I think it was like eight miles down the road that he walked back to the lodge. So it wasn't that far. Mm-hmm. So a couple of fun facts here. Again, I'm not stating this is a fact. That's just an expression <laughs> for the record. <laughs> an opinion. <laughs> an opinion, yes. <laughs> One of the questions that this book brings about... Actually, there's two really important ones that I want to talk about. One is... How did Joseph actually arrive back at the lodge? So, like you said, he says here that he ended up walking back down the road to the lodge. Another one says that somehow he got a ride back down. And then once he got there, he was taken from the lodge to his wife, who then took him to the hospital. In regards to the bug, according to some research on the model of his bug, it only produces heat when it's being driven. Wow. Yeah. The research skills. I'm impressed. (laughs) I know. Whoever found that out, like, (laughs) props to you. Good job, Mia. (laughs) It was not me. (laughs) I did not go into the the archives of of the bugs um, manuals. (laughs) That's so weird. I know. Okay. Yeah. So he says that he, after he realized he was having this heart attack, he laid back down in his bug, which is small, but he laid down anyways and kept the um, heat on so that he didn't freeze. That was why he stayed there all night, because he couldn't get back down the mountain and his bug was heated. But it couldn't have been. No. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> so the only protection it would have provided was against the wind chill and the falling snow. And it's, it would have still been cold. Like, very, very cold. Which also means that, like, he wouldn't have had to leave as soon as his car ran out of gas. Or he could have left earlier. Yeah. And also, um, fact, apparently, about heart attacks. 
the tests that they could have run back in the day and possibly still to this day, they can only determine whether your heart has the um, aftermath of a heart attack, but they can't determine when or how long ago it happened. And his wife had stated that he had previously suffered from a heart attack, which he, I think, cooperated because he instantly knew that he was having one because he's had one in the past. Right. So there's a lot of questions for this story. This guy is a little bit... No disrespect. There's some facts in here that just don't sit all that well. That doesn't mean that he's lying. Like, heart attacks can cause hallucinations. Maybe if he had one around this time, he could have imagined this scenario entirely. Totally. I will ask another question to Mr. Shones here. (laughs) So... He went there at 5.30. At around 11, he heard the whistling noises and the voices. But the men wouldn't have been there until around midnight. Ew! I got chills. <laughs> Some people have asked questions such as, was there perhaps a second group of the men? Like a five men and a woman that were up there separate from this other group of five men? There's no evidence to suggest that there was any other group up there. That's the thing, like, that should be something that we'd be able to know, because mm-hmm. I think that, I mean, if, if it was, like, I think people would come forward and say that, or there would be tire marks, or there would be evidence, but mm-hmm. also there is a theory that um, Joseph could have mistaken one of the boys slash men for mm-hmm. a woman, and mm-hmm. if they were just holding something, you might have thought a woman and a baby. Totally. Because, like, maybe one of them had long hair or was smaller than the others. Yeah. And there's only four men that he accounted for. So five in total people. Okay. But I think his story changed a few times on that, too. Yeah, I don't know if it was, like, kind of like one of those things where the more he was interrogated, or, excuse me, the more he was questioned, right? (laughs) the more he questioned himself. I just don't know. It's just odd. There's no way to know. No, No. unfortunately, like most of these cases, it's all open-ended questions. Yeah, and not enough information. No, not Um, at all. You're not supposed to whistle at night in the woods. I think that's a skinwalker thing. Oh my gosh, I just got chills again. Don't whistle in the woods at night. Just don't whistle at night. Your whistling cuts off when the sun goes down. (laughs) Honestly, just cut the whistling out. Just sing if you have to. Even then, that's iffy. Don't do any whistle tones. Ariana Grande. (laughs) (laughs) Don't go out in the woods with Ariana Grande is what we're saying. Also, the whistling noises could have been like the wind. I feel like you would know the difference. But also, you can't. I've, I've heard I mean, both, and they sound very similar. Couldn't it also have been... A hallucination entirely? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Dumb. also, it could have been his bug, like, trying to produce heat and being completely unable to because it physically can't. <laughs> <laughs> also, there's a few reports that maybe he had had a few drinks that night, which oh. could also cause hallucinations. True. Especially if you're... Having a heart attack at the same time. Well, why would he be... Yeah, especially that. (laughs) Some research was done into Joseph's wife at the time. This book talks to a man named Todd. And Todd was essentially a neighbor of Joseph's. Okay. Yeah. Close enough neighbors, apparently, that he was privy to some things that happened at their house. Such as the fights. Mm -hmm. So it was said that Joseph and his wife... They were not on very good terms. So apparently they had such bad fights that um, Joseph and his wife could barely exist, quote unquote, barely exist in the same trailer together, let alone vacation together. Wow. 
Yeah. So they were going to go out camping mm-hmm. together? Yeah. Weird. Yep, yep. It was also said that uh, Joseph was a quote-unquote wet brand alcoholic and a pathological liar. Respectfully. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So this neighbor, Todd, thought that it was suspicious when Joseph stated that his reason for being up there was to quote-unquote see about going on a family ski trip up in that area. So just one other little fun little tidbit. Joseph was, I think, kind of known for like, (laughs) I think he was kind of known for sort of getting, um, having some drinks. Okay. And then driving on the roads. That was sort of his thing. Safe. Yeah. Good, good choices. Don't do that. Okay. This is not fact, but apparently he got stuck a few times. (laughs) I mean, he's driving a V-dot bug, right? Yeah. That checks out. I'm not 100% sure if this is in regards to that specific day or just this time of day in general, but it said that he would get stuck and then people would come and uh, help him get unstuck, you know, pull him out with the chain, um, and then he'd just drive off without thanking them or anything, which could be that he just didn't want to get caught for being Drinking and driving? Yeah. Yeah. Could be. Still, at least say thank you. Can I just say, I don't understand why you would go at night up the scary trail in your tiny bug to check if it's good enough for your family the next day. Unless he was working and he couldn't go until then, but even then, like, I don't think that's a smart idea. Like, it's a bug. Mm-hmm. It's not an alternate vehicle. In winter, <laughs> up a mountain. <laughs> the p- investigators started getting even more tips. One of which came from a woman who had seen a pickup truck with five guys outside a store in Brownsville, which was a town about an hour away, I think. This was at 2 p.m. on the day after they disappeared. I don't know if she would have known at this point because I don't think they got it out that quickly Mm. that these five men were missing, but she does remember this and this was a thing, but investigators don't believe that this was the Yuba County Five. This could have been um, because I think that there was some store worker who was at a small town and thought that a group of guys were from out of town because they just seemed to not fit in. I did not get the name of the town (laughs) or the name of the clerk though. Right. So I'm not 100% positive on that. The only reason that the tape tip from the woman in Brownsville was important is because it's interesting that Joseph and her both um, report seeing a pickup truck Like, that's weird, right? That's a weird coincidence. Agreed. There is one more um, sighting of them, I will say, that I think is super interesting. Ooh. So there was a woman named Debbie who lived in Yuba County, and she got a phone call from an unknown number. This piece of information is intense. It's wild. Mm Mm-hmm. So the man on the other side of the, of the phone just said, I know where the missing five men are, and then hung up. At this point, Debbie had heard of the Yuba County Five case, and she reported this to police. And the <sighs> next day, she got another call from the same guy, and this time he said, I need help because I really hurt those guys bad. Quote. Yeah, and it, wasn't this just some random woman? <laughs> it was just a random woman. Yeah. She had no connection to this no. case. She asked who he heard, and he said, don't play dumb, and hung up. She got another call the very next day. (sighs) This time he said, those five guys are all dead, and then hung up, and this was the last (laughs) phone call. 
Ew. Oh my gosh, that's awful. That was awful. I'm uncomfortable. I have mm-hmm. chills. If this is true, it's insane. Yeah, agreed. On June 4th, 1978, obviously. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, this is, what, four months? February, March, April, May, June. Like, three and a half months later. Yeah, so it's been a while, Ish. and the snow has started to melt, basically. Mm-hmm. So, on June 4th, a group of motorcyclists came across a forest service trailer about 19 miles or 31 kilometers from where the Mercury Montego was found, and a few miles away from a lake. So, this group noticed that the trailer did not smell the greatest, and Mm -hmm. were quite concerned about that, so Mm -hmm. they called the investigators who came to look at it, and they found that the window was broken, and inside they found the body of Ted Weir. Trigger warning. Trigger warning. This is not an easy podcast to listen to. (laughs) So Ted was lying on the bed there, wrapped up in eight layers of sheets. He was kind of tucked in. He had a half-burned candle on the table beside him. So right off the bat, I'll just say that it's believed that he wouldn't have been able to put these sheets on himself because his feet were in a bad state. It would have been too painful for him to try and do that alone, and he was tucked in like he was rolled up in these sheets yeah from his chest to his feet basically yeah so his pants were rolled up so the investigators could immediately tell that he had blood poisoning and frostbite to the point that he had gangrene on his feet yeah and um yeah was he was in bad shape he was also missing his shoes so they weren't in the trailer to be anywhere so the investigators determined that he had survived four to six weeks or up to three months after they had disappeared because he had lost mm-hmm. half of his body weight almost mm-hmm. and he had like 13 weeks of facial beard growth basically. Mm-hmm. Ted was about, he was just under six foot so he was about 5'11 I think and he was 200 pounds approximately before they disappeared and when he was found he'd lost between 80 and 100 pounds. So he's between 100 and 120 pounds, which is a significant amount of weight to lose. Yeah. He had been eating, though. They they knew there was evidence that he had been eating. Based on the state that he was in, investigators theorized that he honestly had probably only passed away about two or three weeks before he was found. Oof. Yeah. Just a really hit hard there. So he was definitely alive during the time that they were searching for him. Mm-hmm. They determined his cause of death to be a mixture of exposure and starvation. There's a couple different theories as to what ultimately he passed from. Like you said, starvation. There's also like hypothermia. But some experts think that it was something called a pulmonary edema, which is sort of similar to pneumonia. And it just puts so much stress on your lungs that in turn stresses out your entire body that it just can't keep up and your heart gives out. That's sad. Yeah. Also in the trailer, they found Ted's wallet with cash still inside, as well as his ring that had his name on it and a necklace that was also his. And there was also a watch there that didn't belong to anyone. Like none of the families confirmed that it was any of the boys who owned this watch, so mm. it's kind of theorized maybe it was a forest ranger, but also maybe it was someone else, which we will get into. 
It's not unreasonable to think that it could have been like a forest ranger that left it there before because this was not like a private residence. Which we should have mentioned. This was like a forest service type of trailer. It had mm. supplies and people were kind of like able to use it to like if they needed to, right? Mm. And it was used as like a, a place for forest service workers to stay if they were working up there for an extended period of time. Yeah. So with that being said, it was very well stocked. Which we will also talk yes, about. Yes, we sure will. <laughs> um, <laughs> I kind of believe that if it did belong to a forest service worker, they would have come forward by now to say mm-hmm. that that was mine. I agree. It's weird that they wouldn't, right? So, some of the supplies that, that was in the trailer was food. Lots of food was stored, like, right outside the trailer in, like, a little lean-to. There were so many, like, cans of food. Mm-hmm. Enough that... Every single one of the boys, all the five men, would have been able to survive for months. I think I've heard that they probably would have been able to survive for up to a year. Yeah, so they would have been fine if they had if they had used this, they would have been okay. There was also fuel for a fire, including a propane tank and like lighters and matches and a bunch of paperback books. Apparently, if they had turned on the propane tank outside, it would have provided heat and like electricity to the trailer. I don't know how propane so tanks sad. work, but apparently that would have been a thing. I don't know either. There was no sign that they had ever tried to start a fire. There was also empty cans of food from the food locker, so they did know that it was there, and they did have a way to open it. I think maybe they busted into one. So there was two, I yeah. think, at least two storage lockers out there. And also, I think to clarify, because there was some confusion that I found amongst the food aspect. So... And these storage lockers are sort of packs of food. And it's reported that that they took out 12 packs of food from this locker, which in the end, they would have eaten about 31 meals. Right. Mm -hmm. These packs of food were opened with a P38 can opener, which is like a military type of can opener. So it's theorized that only Jack and Gary would have been able to use this thing yeah apparently it's pretty complicated to use i mean which is silly it's a can opener yeah why why does it need to be complicated i also couldn't find information about whether this can opener was like there already or whether it maybe belonged to one of the men which i wish Mm. i knew because that honestly would premeditation not premeditation yeah Mm. (laughs) weird okay so there was also spare clothes like heavy jackets and stuff like that that were untouched like gloves and things this literally was a station to keep people like safe this was fully stacked stocked it was stocked and stacked together (laughs) (laughs) they also found gary matthias's shoes inside so there's evidence that he had been there at some point so thus far they know that ted made it to the trailer and gary made it to the trailer yeah and there was also i'm assuming that there was also like first aid supplies that could have helped ted but I don't think there was any evidence that it had been used. I guess possibly the only one who may have had enough understanding to know how to use those supplies would have been Gary, right? Yeah, but also, like, I don't know how a propane tank works. I don't know really how to start fire. Like, I can figure it out. And I can figure out how medical supplies work. With difficulty. (laughs) Right? But there's no evidence that they even tried to do any of this stuff, which is Hmm. weird. 
Mm-hmm. So there's theories that because of their intellectual disabilities, they might have not wanted to use this stuff because they might have seen it as stealing. It's kind of the black and white thinking there. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they did use some of the supplies. Blankets. Yeah. They used and the blankets food. and the food. But they didn't use the spare clothes or the medical supplies or turn on the heat. And I feel um, like mm. it's weird because I understand like that black and white thinking is a thing that they did experience at times. But if you're in a life or death situation, and especially if Gary was there and there's evidence that he was, he didn't have that sort of... The same blocks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he would have probably been fine to use that stuff, right? And he also was in the army for at least a couple years. He had survival experience. Exactly. Which begs the question, wouldn't that have kicked in here? He was called the leader, right? So he probably already felt that sense of being the leader. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Ted, I don't know how long he was like in that bed for, but during the time that he was there, he must have been getting water. Someone must have been bringing him water. And feeding him. And feeding him and taking care of him. Because you can only last for, like, what, three days without water? Like, Ted starved to death, and he died Mm -hmm. of exposure in a place where he should not have been able to do that, Mm -hmm. because there was more than enough supplies to keep him comfortable. And it's important to note, too, while the window was broken, it didn't look like anyone had made any efforts to, like, um, cover it up. Oh, keep it from, like, letting the air in? Mm -hmm. So, assuming that Gary was the one who was kind of rationing out the food because he was the one who had the... He was definitely there. His shoes were there. He had, like, the ability with the can opener. He was only rationing out enough food for, theoretically, we'll get into, but the, the investigators believe that three of them arrived at, arrived at the trailer. So if there were three of them or even two of them, like, he should have been maybe rationing out more food to keep, like, a Ted alive, basically. Mm-hmm. But Ted starved to death even though he was having food. And, again, there was, a completely full storage locker next to the one that they had broken into that had enough food for a year. I just, I feel like it's crazy. It's crazy. It makes no sense. Mm -hmm. Like, they could have started a fire. If they couldn't figure out how the propane worked, fine. Start a fire with the matches and the paperback books. Mm -hmm. Put on more clothes. Yeah. This will lead to more questions about Gary, I think, specifically in the coming roads of our podcast, but just keep that in mind. So after discovering Ted's body, the search was kind of renewed. So the investigators searched between the co- where the car was and the trailer, which was about, again, 20 miles almost. So just to confirm distances here. So originally, I think it was investigators that said from the car to the trailer, it was about 19 miles. So they would have walked 19 miles to get there. So the book from 2020, the author of this book, it sounds like, went into very extensive research and actually retraced the distance from the car to the trailer and says that it was probably more like 11 miles. Okay, so I saw in like one place, I saw like one source, report, whatever, that said that if it was a straight shot, it would have been less... Mm. less kilometers Mm -hmm. like point a to point b less kilometers from the car to the trailer Mm -hmm. but the roundabout way that they would have had to follow to the trail Mm -hmm. to get to this trailer Mm -hmm. would have been more like 20 kilometers does that make sense yes it does okay it's confusing Mm -hmm. and it's also hard to tell because in the snow it might be different right yeah so they found 
Jack Madruga's body and Bill Sterling's body on the opposite sides of the road, like they were on opposite sides of the road, about 11 miles or 18 kilometers away from the car on the way to the trailer. So Jack still had his car keys with him, and I believe that he was kind of almost in a stream, but both of these men were in rough states and they had been scavenged by animals. So, cause of death for both Jack and Bill was ruled to be hypothermia, but you can't really tell at that point because they were mostly just bones. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of just mostly assumed that they died of hypothermia rather than known for sure. This is really sad. It's really sad. We have one more to talk about and then we can talk, stop talking about death. Okay. Okay. So, two days later, Jackie's father found his son's body two miles or three kilometers away from the trailer. And it's important to note that the investigators strongly urged Jackie's father to not go out there and search for him. At this point, they didn't really really have a lot of hope that this would go well. Mm -hmm. So Jackie's cause of death was also ruled to be hypothermia. But again, he was mostly just bones at that point and had been Mm -hmm. scattered about by animals. So again, there's not really a whole lot of confirmation there. When Jackie was found, he was technically between the cabin and the other two. They were all kind of like on the way to the trailer, Mm -hmm. between the trailer and the car, right? Mm -hmm. It wasn't like they were kind of out of the way in Mm -hmm. a weird spot. So, moving on from the death. (laughs) Yeah, gosh, yeah. So, the very last thing that the investigators found was a quarter mile away from the trailer, they found three Forest Service blankets and a flashlight, as well as a lighter that didn't belong to any of the boys. They never did find Gary Mathias. They did alert um, people, people, medical people, to like what type of medications he needed because at this point he had gone theoretically like months maybe without his medication. Mm-hmm. And I think when he went to the basketball game originally, he didn't actually take any extra with him because he had no reason to, right? Mm-hmm. The families generally suspect and the investigators generally suspect some sort of foul play. Basically, the investigators believe that they could have been following tracks from, like, previous visits to the Forest Service trailer from the road, like a snowplow, and, like, followed that trail all the way to the trailer, and that Bill and Jack passed along the way there, and that the other three made it all the way to the trailer. Three being um, Ted, Gary, and Jackie. Yeah, which I don't really understand, because Jackie was pretty far away from the trailer. I think also, too, they kind of think that um, Bill was unable to make it all the way to the trailer and Jack, because Jack is the one that was a little bit more sensitive, right? And that Jack was just unable to leave him there. Yeah, so maybe one of them collapsed and the other one stayed and the other three were like, we'll go on and find help and come back. Mm -hmm. And they couldn't. Yeah. Or maybe they made it back and then Jackie tried to go back to get help them and then passed. It was too late. Yeah. I will say that it's weird that they would have had the presence of mind to follow the trail in the dark in the snow to get to this trailer and had no didn't have the presence of mind to push the car out. Like it's a weird thing that there that they would have had the quote unquote common sense to do one and not try the other first. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Or gone back down the mountain. Cuz they also agreed. This is up. This is they had to go the up the mountain to get to this trailer. Yeah, and it's like going into the forest in the middle of the night in the cold, theoretically. And this winter. In the winter. 
and and you don't know where that trail is going to lead instead of going back down the mountain where there's civilization like mm-hmm. literally like eight miles down the road there was a lodge it's very suspicious and it would have been like hours they would have had to walk i mean theoretically unless they waited until morning but still like wouldn't they have walked down the mountain if they had waited till morning well and if they'd waited till morning then joseph would have run into them again if he was there yeah <laughs> true <laughs> It kind of begs the question, like, did they already know or did someone find them and tell them that there was a trailer that they could go to? But if they were, like, looking for the trailer, then they would have known that the trailer was somewhere where they could have supplies and be okay, right? Like, they would have used the supplies there because they would have known, if they had known the trailer was there, that it was allowed to be used by them. What if Joseph told them about the trailer? Because their window was rolled down a little, you know, a little bit. Oh, no. (sighs) What if he did? He had like a trail, like a cabin up there. Like he knew probably about it, mm-hmm. and maybe like they asked him, and he told them. Maybe when he was yelling, they came over and was like, "Yeah, and we're all so stuck." And he's like, "Okay, well, there's a trailer somewhere up there with medical supplies and blah blah blah." And maybe they didn't want to use it because they thought maybe it was his stuff. Well, if he was having a heart attack and he was like, "I need help." And was like, but there's a trailer up there with medical supplies that if you could get and bring to me, you could help me. Yeah, and maybe he didn't actually know how far the trailer was. These boys were known to be, like, super helpful, right? Yeah. It really makes no sense that they wouldn't have tried to help him. Exactly. And maybe, uh, benefit of the doubt here, Joseph, maybe he doesn't remember because he was having a heart attack. (laughs) Ooh, I never even thought about that, but that's crazy. I don't like that idea. That's really scary. I know. I don't like it. I'm freaked out. Shall we talk about Gary? Oh boy, there's so much to talk about Gary. Well, let's get into the theories. (laughs) Okay, I'm gonna say right off the bat, obviously right now, probably most people are thinking, hmm, Gary's a little suspicious. You'd be right. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) I genuinely have a hard time believing that he would have hurt his friends on purpose. I think that you always... Like, I think that we always want to give people the benefit of the doubt and rely on their own humanity. Yeah. Well, let me lay out the theory. Okay, yeah. So, Gary... Gary. Gary Gary is thought to be the most, quote-unquote, highest functioning out of the group. And again, he was the leader. Also, is the only one still missing. They have no theories as to where he is. No sign of him. He is also the only one with any sort of violent tendencies or violent past at all. So all of that kind of leads you to believe that maybe Gary had something to do with this situation. Some weird things about Gary. (laughs) Oh dear. (laughs) He had apparently told a friend of his that he had dreams where he and others disappeared. I think that... Throughout some a lot of Gary's life, he went back and forth between having a schizophrenia under control and very, very not under control. Yeah. He could have said this to his friend when it was slightly less under control. That being said, schizophrenia does not cause people to become killers. Well, it doesn't cause someone to necessarily go out and murder a bunch of people. However, paranoid schizophrenia is somewhat of a more severe story and it can cause hallucinations essentially i forget what the term is but there's a term for you know when people 
say that they have a voice in their head telling them to do something really really bad it's not just like a voice in your head like you or i would have like, like an a, intrusive thought yeah it's like a voice a very loud voice smack in the middle of your head ish <laughs> that's right there in the forefront ordering you to do something over and over and over and over again until you kind of can't do anything other than to listen to it because it never goes away and there is also the theory that maybe Gary had gone off of his medication to prepare for this game that he was so excited about so he yeah. wouldn't have the side effects of this medication. That being said, there was no sign that Gary was having any problems before this evening. There was no reports from his family or his friends that anything was wrong. He hadn't prepared to go out in the wilderness, obviously. I don't believe that if something had happened, this was premeditated because he didn't have any means yeah he didn't have a jacket he didn't have he was wearing i think tennis shoes which is why again his shoes were in the trailer and ted's were missing it's kind of believed that ted had sturdier boots so another theory to that also is that gary had smaller feet than ted and it's thought that if gary was also suffering from like frostbite his feet would have expanded a little bit and therefore ted's shoes would have been more comfortable yeah like we mentioned earlier He was the only one out of the three men that are believed to have made it to the trailer. He's the Mm -hmm. only one who would have been able to use the can opener and open the food. He cared for his friends, so it made sense why he would wrap Ted up if he had to go out again. But it doesn't make sense if he was... He was there, obviously. He's the highest functioning, quote-unquote. He would have known that their survival was worth more than the morality of stealing, if that was a hang-up that one of the other men had had. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. It's also weird that when Unsolved Mysteries, which is a TV show, um, obviously, I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you know what Unsolved Mysteries is, (laughs) they asked the families for permission to do an episode, and everyone agreed except for Gary's family. I want to mention on that that... According to some of the um, interviews with the families of the other four men, they sort of called Gary the fifth wheel or the odd one out and said that there was a big power dynamic between Gary and the rest of the boys because he didn't have the same... um, He didn't have any intellectual disabilities and he didn't have a low IQ. He just had a mental disability. Yeah, he had a mental illness. That's different. Thank you. Intellectual versus mental. They're different things. Therefore, some of the family members sort of turned on Gary. So for those reasons, I don't blame them, um, Gary's family for not wanting to take part in this investigation. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. And especially because at this point, the investigators were looking at Gary <laughs> yeah. as a suspect. Yeah. Like, I understand it. Totally. It does lead some people to believe that... Maybe Gary's family knows where he is, and maybe whether or not Gary had something to do with the deaths of his friends, he might know that everyone's blaming him, and he might not have proof that it wasn't him. He might be hiding out somewhere, he might be, you know, and his family might know that. Yeah. And not want him to be found. True. Especially if they think that he's just going to be taken directly to jail and, you know, sentenced. There's yeah. a lot of evidence that could suggest that he was the only one capable of doing this to everyone else, but... Yeah, and I understand even if he didn't have anything to do with it, I think that the family still kind of blames him because he didn't... He was there. He didn't take proper care yeah. of Ted. He was the one responsible for keeping the boys safe. 
really. The responsibility fell on his shoulders to get them out of that situation. Yeah. Which sounds really hard and tough, but that is sort of the reality of the situation. That being said, maybe Gary had nothing to do with this and he was just trying his best in the situation because he was not good under high-stress situations. And after a few days, if he didn't have his medication with him, you don't really know what could have happened there, right? You don't really know what would have the side effects of that would have been. So maybe after the others had passed and he and Ted, Gary and Ted, were in the trailer, he tried his best to keep Ted alive while he's kind of spiraling because he doesn't have his medication. And when he couldn't handle it anymore, maybe, or maybe he was, the snow had melted, it was warm enough that maybe he thought he could go out and get help. Mm -hmm. So maybe he wrapped Ted up in some blankets and like head out and maybe took a wrong turn and ended up, you know, 20 miles in the opposite direction. Mm -hmm. Very true. Very true. It's also bears noting that maybe the reason that the boys were up there in the first place, because this doesn't answer that. The here's some reasons why they might have been up there <laughs> if Gary was the one who led them up there. Gary did have some friends in Forbes Town, which was kind of on the way that they were heading. That they were heading, and maybe they had taken a wrong turn and gotten lost. At the same time, these friends had not heard from Gary in like over a year, mm-hmm. and he had not talked about going to visit them to um, anyone. To anyone. Yeah. And it was kind of like you start going up a hill, you sh- up a mountain. <laughs> You kind of know. I mean, a little bit. Yeah. And there's probably... I'm assuming there has to be a sign at somewhere that would say you're now entering Plumas National Forest. There is. I've seen pictures. There's a sign. There's five men in the car. And given, I think Gary had very poor eyesight. I'm pretty sure Gary needed to have glasses on. However, I don't think that any of the other men depended so heavily on glasses. Someone should have seen the sign. And they also had a roadmap in the car with them. Oh, I forgot about the roadmap. Yeah. Yes. So that's an idea. Yeah. There's also the idea that maybe Gary had an episode and convinced the other guys, because he was convinced himself, that there was something chasing them mm-hmm. and led them up a mountain, or that there was a reason to go up the mountain. That being said, they were going very slow, so I have a hard time believing that they were being chased. Yeah. Because there was cor- no damage to Exactly. One interesting thing about Gary according to his mother I believe like we mentioned earlier he had a bit of a troubled past so in his youth once he started having these symptoms he was kind of in and out of psychiatric facilities and he had a knack for escaping these facilities and I believe in one event he escaped and walked like I want to say like 200 and something to 300 miles to his mother's house he walked wow. such a far distance. That's a long like time an walk. insanely far distance to get from this facility to his mother's house. And he, once he got there, said that he was able to survive by stealing doorstep milk. You know how oh, they would yeah. deliver milk to doorsteps? And eating dog food. So he had an wow. he had knacks for escaping and walking very, very long distances. He had a survival instinct. Sure did. Absolutely. So I don't really know if we should maybe mention this because I feel like this might feel like more of a jab on his character, which it's not meant to be. It's just sort of facts. So before he was on the right path was this, with his schizophrenia, and according to people that knew him, he had been on a stellar road for the two years leading up to this. Yeah. He'd been fine for two years. Nothing. 
He'd also had some run-ins with the police. So, like you said, he was he had threatened violence towards women. There was, I believe, one case where he actually did assault a woman. So he originally, after he was discharged from the army, or somewhere in that early time span, he stayed with a cousin, I think, or a friend of his cousin, um, loosely related. And at some point in the night, his cousin's, this, this man's wife wasn't feeling well, so she went to bed early and she took some sleeping pills. And later on in the night, when her husband went to check on her, he found Gary assaulting her. Oh no, mm-hmm. I didn't know that. And he then immediately called the cops. Gary didn't run. He stayed there, told this man that he wanted to go back to jail, and waited for the cops to come and take him. He served his time, I think, <laughs> and was let out. And after this, he had a run-in with another family where he threatened to stab a woman in the jaw. And also, when her three-year-old child came out, he said, I thought I'd already killed you or something like that. I thought I killed you once. I guess I'll do it again or I'll have to do it again. Yikes. Something along those lines. Yeah, so then shortly after this, he got his, uh, his situation under control and did not have any more of those episodes, apparently goodness yeah i was kind of on gary's side until you said that <laughs> Sorry. Jeez. Okay. okay well you know what i was brought up with an understanding that people do the best with the situations that they're given so i think that he did his best with the situation he was given and i feel like he proved that after he was given the tools to deal with it yeah it's hard because i kind of want to like now that i know that i kind of want to make him out to be the villain but like he didn't really have the help that he needed to not do something like that. It doesn't no. excuse what he did. But not at all, no. And he was coherent enough that he should have known that how wrong that was. He should have known better. Yeah. Because he was never found, and also because the flashlight and blankets, plural, were found just dropped on the ground, where would Gary have gone? <laughs> yeah, he can walk a long distance, but not in the cold without his blankets. Gary also seemed to have a thing about wanting to go back to jail. So while he was in the military, he was, I think, being confined at some point, but not, he wasn't in jail and he said that he wanted to go back to jail. So he punched a cop in Germany because that's where he was, he was in the German. He was in the military over in Germany because he thought that this would take him out of the military and into jail. He called over a guard and was like, hey, what? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, yeah. But then you would think that he would have come forward by now if he was still out there, because then he could be sent to jail. There's some theories that his close family has seen him, that he's come to visit them. He sat on their doorstep and waited for one to return, and then when she got so excited and called the rest of the family, he ran away. She didn't see him running away. She just came back and he wasn't there anymore. Huh. Yeah. Okay, so to state this as fact though his family gary's family does not think that gary hurt anyone especially because he if you really think about it he was probably the only one who could have taken care of ted for as long as he did yeah another theory is that gary was the victim so that someone was targeting gary and the other men were just there in an unfortunate circumstance right Apparently, about six months prior to this event, um, Gary had a bit of a run-in at a party where he was 
spiked with a drug that then landed him back in with the cops. And immediately following that, I believe he was admitted back into a mental hospital just to get himself back on the right. And this seems to be at his request because he knew that this was a big... This was a big blow because he sort of had trouble with drugs in his younger years, right? And up until this point, he'd been good for about, I guess, a year and a half by this point. So this is a piece of potential information that might change some of your views also. So that night on the 24th, there's a place called Bear's Market, right? There might have been a bit of a brawl at after the game. Might have been. According to this book. (laughs) Okay. Yes, there was a brawl between these men and a couple of other men who had followed them over from the basketball game. So it sort of says that the group of a group of men approached Jackie and started to, you know, bully him. And that Gary then came over to defend Jackie because that's his friend. And that then a fight broke out between both groups. Well, actually, maybe I should say a fight broke out between Gary and this other group because he really was the only one that probably knew how to fight. Okay. Probably. He was also <laughs> the only one whose family would say he's the only one that would fight back if he was attacked. Yes. The other ones would Also true. So there's someone named Tammy who I think is Gary's sister. It's Gary's niece, Tammy. Okay. This information is sort of coming... From her according to the investigation that she took on herself. So this brawl had to be broken up by a store, the store clerk from Bear's Market. Uh, So she then is suspecting that after the fight was physically broken up and the clerk was like, you can't fight on my property, the men tried to drive away and drive home, but then they were being pursued by this other group of men that were being a bit of a problem, which could have caused them to become so flustered and like we know none of them are good under stressful situations so and this does lead into though your theory of they weren't being chased because the car was not it damaged enough to to make it seem like they were actually being chased Mm -hmm. but this is just one of the theories i do find it hard to believe that they would have chased them 70 miles but at the mm-hmm. same time, maybe they just got turned around and because they were flustered, they thought they were on the way home and then they ended up where they were, mm-hmm. maybe, after they had stopped being chased by these guys. Yeah. So there is a theory that originally they were actually heading home and then they were caught by this other group of men and the men shot Gary oh. and threw him over or... I think they shot Gary and threw him over the Orville Dam and then took the rest of the boys in Jack's car up to where they left them and sort of just knew that it was secluded enough that they probably wouldn't make it out alive and just got up there and told them to get out. That being said, though, the car would have probably been pretty damaged if someone else was driving it because they wouldn't care. So this kind of stems from a man named Alan. I don't know his connection to any of this. All that it was is he visited Gary's family and told them about what he knew about the night Gary disappeared. All of them disappeared, excuse me. Okay. What sort of happened, according to Alan, is that of these boys from the brawl, one of them started slapping Jackie for various reasons that I don't need to get into because they're really upsetting. Okay. (laughs) Essentially because it 
they knew that it would get a reaction from Jackie that they wanted to get. And then, you know, Gary stuck up for him and got into a fight. And then everyone else sort of overtook Gary and just threw him over this bridge. And then that, like I said, the the car was driven up the mountain. The boys were ordered to get out of the car or they saw an opportunity and got out and ran away. There is no evidence that Gary was actually in this river because he's again never been found and there's never been his shoes or his clothes have never been found in that river. Well, his shoes were in the trailer. Yes. The rest of his clothes were not found in the river. There is also evidence that he got to the trailer actually. So these theories are very odd now that you mention it. Well, maybe maybe his shoes, he traded shoes with one of the other guys earlier for some reason. Yeah. So Tammy, again, Gary's niece, said that she went to visit the forest, uh, excuse me, the trailer, and somehow found some handwritten notes that she believes were written by Gary. I guess maybe he kept a journal or some other notes that they were able to compare it to. So actually, she says, as a quote, Gary took notes like a diary, and these matched his handwriting. Hmm, I okay. wonder what they say. Does it say what they say? <laughs> Oh, no, apparently they only contain religious passages, and actually one of the men was said to be quite religious, and I think maybe it was... Bill? Yeah, I was going to say Bill or Jack. So I wonder if maybe... No, because Bill didn't make it to the trailer. Unless they did make it to the trailer and were on their way back to the car. Yeah, to like maybe True. find help. Yeah, exactly. Apparently these notes didn't have anything of importance on them. Again, religious passages, affirmations, encouraging sayings... And I guess the police confiscated these notes and did not give them back. <laughs> okay. This is all over the place again. Really no, this sorry. is fascinating. Okay, so remember Alan? Yeah. Alan apparently was never able to be questioned by the police because about two days after he spoke to the family, he passed away of a heroin overdose. He was never known to use heroin. He preferred pills. Oh, <laughs> Not heroin. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just so you know. Okay. <laughs> yeah. The silver lining of all of this, though, is that one of the men who was sort of in the group that I think Alan was with, like friends, the friend group of Alan's, mm-hmm. he drove a red step side truck, like a red pickup truck. So maybe this they took them up mountain mm-hmm. and like followed them up in the pickup truck to come mm-hmm. down when they left the guys One there. of the real theories, there's just so many branches, and I feel like all these theories can kind of branch out into one another. So, like, there's some theories that, based on something that Gary did in his past, he was targeted, and they chased them, and or, like, he was targeted because he drove, like, two hours to another town. These people just so happened to be at this basketball game, and recognized him and were like wow you did this terrible thing a couple years ago and they went to follow him and hurt him and maybe they were waiting for an opportunity and when the men sort of initially got stuck they realized oh this is the golden time which was why they didn't have enough time to get themselves unstuck if they just instantly were in a fight or flight situation and decided to just vacate and run away yeah So, like, the real questions here aren't really what exactly happened to them because we know how they ended up. What happened in between point A and point B? Yeah, why'd they go up the mountain? Yeah. Why didn't they do the logical things that they should have done? Mm Mm-hmm. Remember how you mentioned that 
this weird phone call from yeah. this guy to this random woman for Betty. sort of no reason. This poor lady that was just pulled into this. This really fun thing happened with Gary's mother because you know how parents and their children sometimes can have this really, really strong connection, right? Where sometimes yeah. you hear in true crime cases, parents saying, I just knew, you know, I just instantly knew that they were gone or they were here or whatever. So Gary's mom had a really strong feeling that Gary was still alive, just that he had walked so, so far you know, because he was known to walk these great distances. She sort of followed a trail that she thought he might have taken, and it took her into Forbestown, which is the town that he used to have friends in, right? Okay. Yeah. They were driving through, and she out the window saw men with rifles and shotguns hiding in the woods. This area was not safe and known for drugs. Okay. <laughs> Just to put that out there. So as they were driving along, I think sort of all of a sudden, she just had this really strong feeling that Gary was here, like right in front of her at this property. Okay. So she insisted that the driver stop the car. I think it was his father. She went up and knocked on the, you know, the house door, no answer. And she had this really strong feeling that Gary was in one of these multiple sheds on this property. Yeah. This is a very specific feeling that she's feeling. Oh, yeah. It's so specific. Seriously, it's like the water witcher. Yeah. <laughs> so she specifies that it is a wooden shed with a metal roof that had been bolted and padlocked shut. Okay. Yep. So she then goes over to the shed, adamant that Gary is in there, and I guess she actually started, like, banging in there and being like, Gary, Gary, are you in there? She... Didn't get a response, obviously. And then she, just as she was starting to think about ways she could break into the shed, the driver, whose name was George, yelled at her to get back to the car. As she turned around, she saw George sitting in the seat with a, a scary looking man holding a shotgun to George. Okay, this is wild. I know. <laughs> I know. Yeah, the man promptly asked them to leave. His mother, Gary's mother, was like, absolutely not. I know you're hiding my son in this shed. You let him out right now. And he cocked the gun <laughs> in response as a threat. After that, she realized that this was, in fact, a dangerous man and decided to leave That's at that moment. She did call the police. She sure did. She called the sheriff's office. Apparently, they drowned, checked it out, and found nothing. So she also stated that while she was driving, she could clearly see... There are booby traps and men with shotguns hiding all around this property. And that's where that ends. The police have stated that Gary is not there because they checked it out. And I'm assuming that his mother still believes that he is in the shed. I don't know how <laughs> I feel about that. It's odd, hey? It's a little odd. I don't know how <laughs> I feel about that. Was that in the book? Yeah. All the information, the things that I'm adding are all from the book. That's wild. Mm -hmm. I have never heard that before. This book, honestly, okay, just a little a little thing for anyone who wants to know a ton more about the case. There is a podcast called The Human Exception. Their research on this case is unfathomable. Yeah. They did so much research. Not only did they put out two podcast episodes, but they have so much written 
information on their website. In 2021, they did an episode and then realized that the book was released and added a whole bunch of information based off of the book. Okay, shout out to them because I haven't heard that anywhere else and that's crazy. I know. I have nothing to contribute to that because I don't know what I think about it. Mm -hmm. As soon as I read that, I got chills just because stranger things have happened, Mm -hmm. you know? And I guess if they were on their way to Forbes Town, for example, and got lost, it's not impossible to think that Gary could have, I mean, I guess, again, it was snowing and he was probably not prepared because it didn't look like any of the jackets were missing, but under better circumstances, he very well could have made it all the way there. Wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I have like one more theory that's kind of two theories. Okay. There is a theory that maybe should we like move on? I mean, I don't really know how to move on from that. Yeah, we no, we should move on. I think I'm gonna have one other one to add at some point in here. But yes. Okay. If this was not Gary's doing, there is the idea that maybe the boys witnessed something at the game. Specifically, maybe or like after the game, specifically maybe they saw a woman and her baby being kidnapped by a pickup truck. Oh my gosh. So maybe they followed, because they were known to be like super helpful. Yeah. Maybe they followed this pickup truck with the woman and the baby and the kidnapper all the way up into Plumas National Forest until they got stuck. And then they got out and had a confrontation and then scattered because things went wrong. I guess, yeah. So if Gary got out and fought the kidnappers, the other men could have been over there sheltering the woman. And at that moment, that's maybe when Joseph could have woken up and seen that and just been hard of hearing because he was hearing whistling. There was a report from someone on Reddit claiming to be a friend of the family. There wasn't in the official investigation, but she said that they had found, the investigators had found, in the car they found baby supplies. (gasps) And around the car they found shell casings from a shotgun. A shotgun? Like the man who threatened Gary's mother with a shotgun? Ooh. Are shotguns common in the States? I thought handguns were more common. Oh my gosh. I just don't know. Oh my goodness. So there's a theory that the group could have been part of or fallen for a con. There's a super common con where a woman will be like the bait and they'll lure some men specifically or women if that's what they're aiming for. Yeah. Especially if they have a baby, right? You're going to want to help a woman with a baby, especially. Because they're helpless, quote-unquote. Quote-unquote, yeah. So maybe she had approached these guys, acting as a bait, and asked them for help, maybe for a ride somewhere. Mm-hmm. And then when she got in the car, they went the opposite way of their home. And by the time that they realized how far they were going and that they were going up a mountain and it was kind of getting sketchy, it was too late at that point. Mm. And maybe they didn't really have the presence of mind to say no at that point. Or maybe at that point, the truck had pulled up behind them. Yeah. And started continuously yeah, up the mountain. being aggressive. Mm-hmm. So that would explain why the person claiming to be a friend of the family said that there were baby supplies in the car and maybe Mm. she lured them all the way up until they were like no we're not going any further or maybe she said okay you can stop here and then they got stuck in the snow got out had a confrontation with this guy and then scattered Mm -hmm. and that's why the window was down and they were they seemed almost like they were separated that being said it's five grown men 
big men. Yeah. It seems like it would be kind of, unless you knew that most of them would not fight back, unless you, like, knew that, it seems kind of risky to attack them. But that's not saying that they couldn't have known. I mean, if they'd observed them at the game beforehand, maybe they would have somehow got the idea that some of them were not fighters. There's no real reason, though, besides maybe money. And there was still money left in Ted's wallet. That being said, like, maybe this, the kidnappers, quote unquote, lured them into the forest and, like, kept them going. They had the gun to them. Like, to the, you know, they had the gun and they said, keep going. And they walked all the way to the trailer. And then that's why there was the lighter that belonged to no one. And that's why Mm -hmm. there was the watch. And that's why Ted starved to death, even though there was plenty of food. Um, that would also explain why they didn't try to get the car unstuck and why they did have the presence of mind to follow the trail. Well, so okay. So if these attackers were trying to steal things, because like you said, that's the main reason why you do it. It doesn't sound like it was all that difficult for the police to hotwire the car. And alternatively, it's a 69 Mercury Montego and it's yeah. 1978. True. Like you said, maybe they had a grudge against the guys. Like maybe they, yeah. they had a grudge against Gary for some reason. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. This could possibly tie in a little bit to that theory, and I'm really glad that you said it because I was like, I don't know how this is gonna actually fit <laughs> with everything here. In this book, there is some information to suggest that there have been some crimes against the disabled in the Gateway program. So there was a couple occasions in which people had broken into the program and destroyed things, someone set it on fire. Actually, someone broke in, set it on fire, and the damages estimated were estimated to be about $150,000. In 1978? Yeah. Wow. Uh, in 1975. Right. And that's still the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm actually going to just try and read the events as they happened. A little bit later, and I think it was just a couple days, someone had thrown a Molotov cocktail through the window of the office. Again, trying to set it ablaze just after it had already been ablaze. Rude. Honestly. (laughs) I think, I guess from January of that year, so January of 1975, and these events occurred middle of February, there had been seven workshops for the handicapped that had been set on fire. Wow. Yeah. So after this, because their previous location was a little bit damaged, they opened a new location and immediately received a bomb threat and had to evacuate. This was in April. So one of the, I think, counselors of the program, a couple days later, in his personal apartment, someone knocked at his door and then tossed a flammable liquid onto this counselor and set him ablaze. Okay, so they have, like, a... A vendetta. Yeah, and they have a weapon that they use, which is fire. Oh, that's true, actually. Seriously, fire. Okay, so it was the director. The director is the man who answered the door and passed from this incident. A man named Donald, who I believe is the man who worked with Gary when he first arrived. Donald was the man who introduced him to the rest of the boys. So to celebrate his arrival in the company, there was a little bit of a party or a get-together, and this was at a private residence. And all of a sudden, someone spotted smoke coming from the driveway. You're right, it is fire. Um, Just after 9 on um, May 31st, two cars had been firebombed 
two cars that were in the driveway at this party, in this, this private residence party. Did they ever catch these people? No. So, actually, one of the newspaper clippings from that time says, Weirdo firebug harasses project for handicapped, for example. Huh. Yeah. So, this here says that between the 70s and 80s was a much more violent period than we remember. Politically motivated bombings and other attacks were very common. Yeah, there was, um, like, a few people were assassinated, and this is also around the time where their serial killers were super active. Ew! Like, it was a very violent time. Oh my gosh. (laughs) How have I not heard of any of this? This is in the book. Okay, so, like... so much research. When I was looking at a lot of stuff, because this just happened in 2020, I only found, like, a handful of podcasts recorded in 2021. Right. So there's only a couple podcasts that caught this book, but it has so much stuff in it. Okay, I need to order this book because this Honestly, is crazy. I did might... so much research. <laughs> I might have done more research for this than I did for anything else ever. Okay, maybe we need to do like a revamp. Or not a revamp, but like a, the book. Yeah, a little Oh, I love podcast. that. Okay, yeah, yeah. We should do that. Wow, I didn't know any of that. <laughs> I actually have one more thing for you. Okay. Okay. It does like make sense. Like if... If they were, like, chased up that mountain or kidnapped or, like, attacked by people, mm-hmm. maybe the people already knew them. So, like, okay. Or had a vendetta against them because yeah. they just are awful bigots or something. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, so let's say that these people had a vendetta against them anyways. And then Gary comes along, who is not quite the same, yeah. but becomes friends with them. And for whatever reason, this just angers these people to no end. Yeah. And they now have reason to harm. Yeah. Or they believe, like, oh, he's violent, so they all must be. Also possible. Which is, like, a horrible, bigoted, awful thing to, like, (sighs) say and do to someone, but people like that do exist. There are some terrible people in the world. Yeah. Genuinely. Especially in, like, the 70s and 80s when it wasn't really understood that much. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, this is, I think, the last thing that I have, but it's super interesting. So, do you remember our friend Joseph? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he had a daughter. His daughter was disabled and reportedly also went to potentially some of the Gateway Project's dances. Oh, like, of all, like, because they were, like, a close enough, the, the cities were all close enough, it would be, like, part of the same type of community so if they had big things yeah. like that they would have maybe met it's not unheard of for the communities to sort of especially smaller sects inside the community such as the you know the gateway project who's helping people yeah they're all part of the same program but in different cities they might have met at some point exactly whoa yeah so it's theorized that it's possible that at one of these events joseph starter could have met with these men it's not, like, suggested that maybe they had something bad happen, like, that anything terrible happened between the two of them, just that Joseph could have gotten really upset that maybe she took a liking to one of these men that he didn't like. Yeah. Especially, maybe he found out that one of the men had, you know, in this friend group had problems with drugs and violence and had a temper. Ooh, maybe Joseph <laughs> is a bad guy. I have chills. <laughs> This really just takes you on so many turns. Like, oh, there's this. Oh, there's this. Oh my gosh. Are you sitting down? (laughs) (laughs) This is crazy. You are blowing my mind right now. It's a lot. So also, do you remember that neighbor, Todd? Yeah. So Todd sort of suggests 
that Joseph had problems with drugs. And the Gateway Project, so this project was like a, a huge thing. It wasn't just they offer, you know, programs and events for people challenged in a certain way, but they also brought in workshops and events for those who were challenged with drugs. Right, which is so partly why Gary was there. Exactly. Maybe Joe was also there. Joseph? This article refers to him as Joe, and I'm like, no, it's Joseph. <laughs> so <laughs> We're maybe, not that familiar with him. I know. <laughs> so maybe Joseph had also gone there for said drug counseling, and that's how he found out about Gary's past. It's a lot. It's like a lot to take in. There's so much more here that I have not delved into because this is literally like weeks. Weeks of research (laughs) in here. (laughs) I had days. (laughs) Yeah, this is insane. Yeah. Okay, so what if... Are we going to spitball? Yeah, let's spitball. Okay, Okay, so maybe maybe Gary had a run-in with Joseph's daughter. Maybe, maybe she liked him. Yeah, and maybe Joseph was like, I don't like his past, and I know this guy. Because I went to drug counseling Be- with yes. him. And then and then he like followed them. He chased them up the mountain. To confront them to about his, his daughter. Little V-Dub bug. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Actually, that's not out of the question, because they were going so slow. Yeah. That theoretically, you know, <laughs> he's not going to do... speed car chase. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Up the mountain. <laughs> So maybe, or maybe he had, like, stalked them there, and he met them at the game, and he was like, hey, if you go up here, there's something really cool up there that you guys should see. And then he, like, followed them up there, like, at a distance behind. Or what if he knew? What if they all knew his daughter, and he was like, I'm coming to you guys for help because I know you, and I know you know my daughter, and these people have taken her, and she's being held up here in this trailer. In this trailer. That's how he knew about the trailer. And then they get up there, and he fakes a heart attack. I'm being mind blown right. I think we cracked it. I think we solved the game. This is a lot. Wow. And he has a shotgun, so that explains shotgun shells. Yes. 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 Oh my goodness. Wow. Is did we solve it? I don't know, but I haven't heard this theory. (laughs) Again, all opinions are opinions and not facts. They're not facts. Nothing here is a fact, okay? No. No. We did solve it. We In our own minds, we are geniuses and cracked this case. (laughs) I don't even know if it's worth saying the cryptid theory. No, you should. We need to. Okay, well, what if it was aliens? (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't hear the conviction in your voice there. What was that? (laughs) Hear me out. Hear me out. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay. I'm here. There was no damage to the car. True. They were 70 miles away. True. So they got beamed up in the car. Okay, yeah. And then they got, like, moved to the <laughs> snow line of Plumas National Forest. Where they were gently lowered back down onto the road. <laughs> yeah, no damage to the car. And then they wound down the window to ask the aliens why they did that. What if Joseph is an alien? <laughs> Mind control? Yeah. Maybe the aliens mind-controlled him to walk over it because they rolled their window down. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. And then he talked through him, and he was like their mouthpiece to talk to them. Yeah. And then he recognized them from the Gateway Projects, and he pulled out his shotgun, and then they stabbed <laughs> was just really mad. He remembered. As soon as the, the mind control stopped, he was like, I hate you. <laughs> pulled out his shotgun from his back pocket. I don't think they fit in the back pocket. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, Okay. I got the aliens on the table. Let yeah. me raise you. 
He heard whistling. Don't whistle in the forest at night. Because of... Cryptid. Okay. Will come and rip you apart. Hence the scattering. Hence the scattering. Ew. Okay, so they wander around the forest for Mm -hmm. days. Mm -hmm. Who says that they went to the trailer that night, right? True. Mm -hmm. Which could explain, because can one person really get so much damage from... That's what I was thinking. Like, in one night, he got frostbite. And I think it's... Someone said that it takes maybe roughly 20 minutes to walk a mile. In the snow? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I think it would take me longer, but I'm not going to dispute that. Oh, gosh. They were taller than me. They were. Yes. (laughs) Probably. They are also probably traversing, like, three feet of snow. That's true. I'm just going to leave it at that. It could have been a cryptid, and it could have been aliens. And maybe they got chased around the mountain for a few days, and that's why they um, have problems with their bodies being in one place. (laughs) (laughs) You put that so eloquently. Wow. There's somehow, there's a Sasquatch theory. I don't know how that plays into this. That could have been the cryptid that chased them around the mountain. I mean, Sasquatch is nice, though. Is he? Do you know that for a fact? Yeah. I sure do. (laughs) (laughs) I've never once been scared outside. (laughs) Maybe the Yeti is bad, then. Okay, so, like, what if it was the aliens that mind-controlled the Sasquatch? (laughs) And then Joseph was the sasquatch (laughs) he's he is a hybrid we just got it wrong he's not alien human he's human sasquatch he cropped it (laughs) oh my gosh all right well that went off the rails a little bit that was a lot we might have some bloopers (laughs) we might have some bloopers yeah what do you think happened oh my goodness for a fact I think that they didn't necessarily mean to go up there. I think that someone did talk to them while they were up there, and that's why their windows rolled down. And then it could be aliens. <laughs> could be Joseph. Could Respectfully, be Joseph. Respectfully. And I think that Gary may still be alive. Investigators kind of believe at this point that the only way they're really going to solve this case is if they find Gary. Yeah, I agree. To be honest. And the forest is so big that they can't put all their manpower into searching everywhere. Especially if he can walk like 100 kilometers Mm -hmm. without stopping. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I think it's pretty clear what happened after they got up there. Like crazy theories aside, I think it's pretty clear... How it ended. How it ended. Mm -hmm. What the real mystery is, is why they went up there. Mm -hmm. And why they didn't go back down. I think that this is probably the case that I really don't have any strong theories about mm. personally as to why they went up there. Like, more than any other case, this is the one that confuses me so much. Yeah. So regardless of how they ended up there, we know how it ended. Yeah. I don't know if I can really fully believe that Gary had anything to do with it besides it being an accident that maybe he could have prevented. But after a few days, I don't think he could have because he didn't have his medication. I think for sure, in my mind, this is not just the result of one person's actions. Mm -hmm. I think that it was a group of people somehow led to this ending. Yeah, I don't think you can, yeah, I don't think you can blame any one person for this. Mm -hmm. Unless there was someone else involved, like a completely outside source. That being said, I kind of believe that maybe they wandered around the mountain for a few days before they arrived at the trailer, and then by that point, Gary wasn't in any state to 
help. Yeah, possible. Very possible. That's kind of the only thing that really makes sense to me. There's too many questions. Honestly. And not enough answers and not enough um, information out there about the actual investigation. Like, there's yes. no pictures, really, no. of the trail or of the trailer or... I don't want to see crime scene photos, but I have. I didn't even see anything. That there was the existence of crime scene photos. Yeah, or, like, the car. I didn't see any pictures of the car, and it's, mm-hmm. like... It's... Investigative procedures can't have changed that much. That much in 30 years that now we have to document everything, but they didn't do that back then and the police already knew how important this was like they knew they were on it right away yeah they they really tried to find these guys and the fact that they didn't look at the trailer that's a real oversight yeah (laughs) like i mean it's 20 miles away but it's in the grand scheme of the investigation if there's no leads why don't you check the trailers around the area for like after like the weeks and months that they spent searching for them yeah the really awful thing is had they done that sooner they might have saved at least one person and the case would be solved yeah so all we can really do right now is hope that eventually gary comes forward or they find him or they find more information yeah or someone from that night comes forward i mean even this book it's so it's still so new who knows it really could lead somewhere could yeah i'm definitely going to look into this book and i'm gonna order it and we might i think have i am too. too yeah there's so much information that couldn't be included in today's episode yeah so much more out there that i had no idea about <laughs> i'm really excited to your mind more. is blown honestly <laughs> honestly it's crazy some of that was insane okay so that's what we have for the yuba county five so let us know what you think you can contact us at weirdthingsonline at gmail.com. I really would love to hear anyone's theories on this because... Mm-hmm. Seriously. I, I don't know. And I, I deep-dived into Reddit and I found so many differing theories and people are so certain of what they believe and then other people are so certain of something completely different. <laughs> I want to know, you know? Share your opinion, you know? This is yeah. a safe space. You can also contact us. We have Instagram, Facebook, Twitter tiktok which i want to upload more on but i don't really know what to do and also youtube all the episodes are available on youtube it's weird things and wine on basically everything and you can also go to our website and find all the links and stuff there if you wanted to and that's weirdthingsandwine.com again weird things and wine thank you for joining us today yeah please really appreciate it rate and review if you would like to do that give us suggestions if you you don't have to you don't have to do any of these things these are just you know, our suggestions. Yeah. Interact with us. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks, guys. We appreciate you. you. Even if you hated it, we appreciate that you listened this far. Yeah. Even if you hated it, five stars would be appreciated. Can we say cigarettes and bloopers together? (gasps) Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Let's... Right now? Should we do our cheers first? Yeah, we should. Okay, Okay. 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 Stay weird. Drink wine. Cheers. Cheers. Stick around for some bloopers and outtakes. <laughs> okay. Tie it back into Dyatlov Pass. Oh, actually, I wanted to talk to you again. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's called the American Dyatlov Pass, but the only similarities are there's one person from each group that is different from the rest. It happened in winter on a mountain. I think that's the only reason it's called the American Dyatlov Pass. A group of people had bad things happen to them. On a, on a mountain. In winter. Yeah. <laughs>
listeners, plural. <laughs> Hi, Mom. We know there's more than one of you. <laughs> it's about, all in all, 1.15 million acres. A million 1.5 acres. million acres. How do I say that? <laughs> no one knows. No one knows. Nope. So, I don't know. Yep. <laughs> no one knows, so I don't know. <laughs> It looks sort of similar to some of the views that I have seen in my lifetime, and I live sort of on the East Coast-ish. West Coast. Is it the West Coast? Never eat. It is. Excuse me. <laughs> I live more so on the... Gosh. Let's try again. There was a lot of snow at the time. Why am I... I'm just reading this, like, word for word. But yeah, there was a lot of snow, obviously. It was winter. <laughs> And of course, you know, men in their cars. Mm. <laughs> Girl, tell me about it. <laughs> we have a true crime podcast, and I can't handle blood. Maybe he was like a blood witcher. A blood bender. <laughs> you Do you know that. what that is from? It's from Avatar. Oh gosh, thank you. Yes. <laughs> Dude, that yeah. was intense. <laughs> Your face went completely. I just got, I got excited. Okay, I'm sorry. I didn't know how to internalize that. Yeah, like a blood vendor. Um, <laughs> you, so. said we were, you said we weren't going to have that many bloopers today. <laughs> <laughs> this feels like a blooper. We are going to have the best podcast ever. Joe Rogan, <laughs> we are coming for you. Coming for your brand, man. We're going to make it better. Watch out. <laughs>